Hey y'all, it's time to take a brew break. I'm Keela from Keela D Sub Creation, sharing my favorite stories 11 points at a time. You can look forward to English major insights, fangirl freakouts, and biblical tidbits as I dive deep into fiction and nonfiction stories in any form. Now grab a brew and join me for Elevensies. Hey everybody, we're back with Elevensies, and today it is just me with very pared down notes, so you're in for a ride. You're gonna just have to stick with me through it, as I may or may not be rambly, but that's okay, because I'm just talking about some stuff I've been watching recently, and hopefully it'll be entertaining to you. So, first of all, today's 11Z's beverage. I'm not drinking anything super fantastic right now, I'm just rocking my normal water, but I got the idea from my Pride and Prejudice episode with Alicia that anytime I don't have a fun drink to share with you, I am going to come up with the perfect 11Z's refreshments that go in line with this episode. So today we're talking about 11 middle school movies that I like grew up watching, I rewatched them, I loved them, I'm obsessed, I can quote a lot of these <laughs> from beginning to end, and you know the best refreshment to have when watching these movies is just a Dr. Pepper and popcorn. That's all you need. And that's what I was eating a lot of the time in middle school while I was watching these movies. So that's my 11Z's beverage for today. And now we can dive into these 11 movies that I watched in middle school and rewatched recently thanks to streaming services. And I will tell you if I think they hold up or not. Spoiler alert, they don't all do. And I'm just going to list these in order of how I watched them recently. Um, and that basically stemmed from how they were popping up on my Disney Plus or HBO subscription. So they're in no real order, um, but I have some notes on each of them, but not a lot. So let's just dive on in. The first movie I wanna talk about is Freaky Friday. And we're talking about the 2003 version starring Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. What a treasure. Obviously, this movie holds up. If you haven't seen it, um, crawl out from under your rock and watch it. Although, <laughs> you might have to be the right age in order to appreciate that. That's maybe what I will say about a lot of these movies, is if you've never seen them before and you try to watch them now, obviously you aren't going to fully appreciate them as you would if you saw them for the first time as a middle schooler, but if you haven't seen them since middle school and then you rewatch them, they hold up partially for nostalgia value for sure, but also because, I mean, there's some, there's some good stuff in there. So Freaky Friday is where the daughter and the mom switch bodies thanks to these like magic fortune cookies because they had been arguing and couldn't really see each other's perspective on things. And obviously they learn a lesson because they walk a mile in each other's shoes and realize what the other one is dealing with all the time and that high school isn't that easy and being an adult and dealing with adult problems is also not that easy. So they kind of understand each other a little bit more and obviously it is a selfless act of love that trades them back into their original bodies and so it's like just a really great mother-daughter story plus I mean, come on, the music is amazing. Like, the song that the band plays is so good, it runs through my head frequently. 
You got Chad Michael Murray rocking his long hair. You've got the humor of like the little brother and the grandpa. It's just, it's a classic and it definitely holds up. Number two is The Parent Trap, which is the 1998 version starring, you guessed it, Lindsay Lohan again, co-starring along with herself. <laughs> so even though this came out in 1998, I wasn't really watching it until middle school. I mean, you remember the Disney Channel movies that would come on and the best feeling was seeing like the little Mickey Mouse logo in the corner and like the kids kind of jumping anti-gravity and then you know a movie's about to start and anytime it was Parent Trap I was watching it. So even though it came out when I was three, <laughs> I was watching it and re-watching it whenever I was in middle school on Disney Channel. Anyway, this one also holds up. It's just, I mean, who doesn't dream about going to summer camp and finding your long lost twin? I mean, that's just, it's a fun story. The whole camp stuff of them like fighting with each other and then getting isolated, then realizing that they're long lost twins and then teaching each other about their lives. That is awesome. You love to see that montage of them like learning the secret handshakes and like the layout of the house. So much fun. And then of course they decide to trade places so that they can meet their other parent and hilarity ensues. So you just, you just love to see it. And like the, the nanny and the butler give you some much needed comic relief to <laughs> distract you from the fact that this custody agreement is the most ridiculous thing you could ever come up with and this would never fly in real life <laughs> like what the parents met did they meet on the boat and then immediately get married i don't know but they got married crazy fast therefore got pregnant crazy fast and then decided they couldn't make it work out and when they found out it was twins they were like okay fine you take one i'll take one and we'll live on opposite sides of the world and never see each other it's perfect <sighs> never let the kids know that they're twins and never see their sibling or their other parent for their whole lives like that's just that would never happen in real life and the posts about it on <laughs> tumblr and instagram these days are just like ridiculous so that's the only thing that you're you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit because come on that part's dumb but the rest of the movie just it holds up it's hilarious everyone wants to see mean old Meredith get a lizard in her mouth and get thrown into the lake on her air mattress like it's just classic so good and you just can't help but like have your knees buckle when the parents kiss and get back together at the end like you know they still haven't worked out all their problems they still have to figure out where they're gonna live and how this whole custody thing is gonna work now that the twins know each other exist but you kind of root for their love anyway so I definitely think it holds up Number three is the Princess Diaries series, which the first one came out in 2001, the second one came out in 2004, obviously starring Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews. These 100% hold up. Oh my gosh, the first one more so than the second one, I would say, just because it stays true to the book a little bit more, but they definitely <laughs> don't really follow the book very well. Uh, for one thing, the book takes place in New York, and the movies take place in San Francisco. Her dad is still alive in the books. <laughs> she, obviously, he's dead in the movies. 
and the second movie just completely strays from the books by bringing in this new love interest character that is not in the books at all. Spoiler alert for the books. Mia and Michael, man, they stay together, y'all. They are endgame, and we love to see it. That's what we love about the books. They're not 100% like amazing the whole time. There's definitely ups and downs in their relationship, but they end up together, and that's what we want. And so, yeah, the movie stray from that and make them end up just friends, and Michael's not in the second movie at all, but then they bring in this other romance aspect, and it it ends up being a pretty good movie as well. I mean, the second movie's sleepover scene alone saves the entire movie. I mean, you've got mattress surfing, you've got Julie Andrews and Raven Simone doing a rap duet thing. Like, oh my gosh, it's it's amazing. Obviously, the first one is much better. It's about, like, identity crisis as a teenager, finding out that she went from, like, ignored, bullied girl with nerdy glasses into, like, a princess, but realizing that becoming royalty and getting a haircut doesn't change who she is inside and that she can still make real change happen with her new authority she's given. And anyway, it's amazing. And I talk about it a little bit on the Daily Nerd Devo podcast episode called How to Be a Princess about how Princess Mia and Queen Clarice really show the balance between respecting traditions and not quite conforming to not great traditions. And I just think there's a lot of good lessons in there for young women and it's just got good humor and great music and cute boys, like everything, everything you need in, in a classic Disney Channel middle school movie. Number four is The Cheetah Girls, and this one hurts me to say, but I don't think it holds up. I was obsessed with these movies. The first one came out in 2003. There were two more after that. They obviously star Raven Simone, Adrian Bailon, Sabrina Bryan, and Keely Williams. I will say the first one pretty much holds up. It's really good movie. I mean, it's about a group of girls who's really good at singing and they're trying to make it big and famous but then realize that becoming famous is not more important than their friendship, you know, like it's it's cute in that way and it really plays a lot with found family because there's one girl who is just living with her single mother who's trying to date again and she's not sure about that. There's another girl who's in a foster home and doesn't know who her real parents are and somehow they like all came together with their different backgrounds and were able to find friendship and family and love and singing all together and I really like that message of it but the other two movies I think don't focus on that so much and just keep relearning the same lessons over and over like being famous is not more important than your friendship. Being famous is not more important than your friendship and the character of Galleria played by Raven Simone is just the most annoying and entitled selfish person I'm like how are y'all still friends with her like you think she learns her lesson in the first one nope nope she's acting the same in the second one and like not letting them have a life because singing is more important than anything and it's just she's annoying and a drama queen and I can't I can't handle it and then she's not even in the third one 
and they just like write her away like oh yeah she went to college or whatever but really it's because they couldn't get Raven Simone couldn't afford her anymore probably because she made it big but still it uh, I think I fell asleep during the third one and didn't really care to finish it even though it was cool like they went to different places the first one I think takes place in New York I think that's where they live the second one takes place in Barcelona, so there's all the fun Spain stuff, and then the third one takes place in India. So they get to go cool places, and there's some good, catchy songs in all of the movies, but beyond the like found family lesson of the first one, I think they fall a little short, and that hurts me because I was obsessed with them. I wanted to be a cheat girl so bad, and I remember jumping on my trampoline like trying to come up with choreography for their like Cinderella song which was so good and watching them now is like eh it's just a little cheesy for me number five is Holes oh my gosh does this movie hold up it came out in 2003 stars Shia LaBeouf and a whole band of misfits together with him it's based on a book and if I remember correctly I read the book in fifth grade so it's been a while but it follows the book pretty well, and oh my gosh, it is so good. It is about how you can become more than the product of your circumstances. It's about the importance of having love and support in your life, and like overcoming adversity, and it's also about found family. Like, oh, it's so, it's so good. It's about this kid who gets sent to a uh, juvenile detention camp under false pretenses. He kind of gets framed for a crime he didn't commit and ends up at Camp Green Lake, which is a dried up lake where they do nothing but dig holes all day, every day. Five foot deep, five foot wide, and they're looking for something. They don't know what they're looking for, but uh, they slowly uncover that there's this whole history from the lake in the past that kind of goes back to the main characters like ancestors and he's got to like break the curse of his family by becoming friends with this other kid from a different family. Anyway, there's history, there's humor, there's just a ragtag group of boys who you might get the wrong idea about them at first because obviously they're juvenile delinquents, but then you realize there's something deeper going on there and maybe they didn't have the best home life and maybe uh, they just made a couple wrong choices and that doesn't define them for their whole lives and anyway it's just ugh, so good and peaches and onions man enough said peaches and onions okay number six is spy kids oh my gosh was I obsessed with spy kids this obsession started way before middle school. My sister and I would watch the original movie, which came out in 2001, on VHS. We would watch the whole movie, and then we would stop it and rewind, which we all know took a few minutes. While it was rewinding, we would go to the bathroom, we would get our snacks, and then we would watch it again. I am not kidding. <laughs> this was like our favorite movie of all time. I mean, what more could you ask for? There's adventure, there's family, there's spies, there's all of this fun stuff going on, and it's just like the ultimate kid movie. Like, your parents are in trouble, you find out they're secret spies, you have to become a secret spy too, 
go dive in this robot submarine thing that your parents had hidden in your house this whole time and fight off the bad guys and even convince some of the bad guys to become good guys and then like fight together with your family at the end. Oh, it is just classic y'all. Classic, classic. The second one came out in 2002 and the third one came out in 2003. They were just cranking these out. Uh, starring Daryl Sabara and Alexa Vega, by the way, who, by the way, <laughs> Daryl Sabara is married to Megan Trainer, and they do TikToks together, and it's adorable, and he is very proud of his Spy Kids past, and I think he should be, because these movies are just amazing. I think even the sequels were really good. They obviously aren't as good as the first one, but the second one is when they go to, like, that tropical island, and they have to fight off all of these crazy creatures, and there's like a corrupt guy in the OSS, which is the secret agent service that they work for, and they have to figure that out and save the president's daughter. And then the third one was the very first 3D movie I ever saw. I remember us getting the 3D glasses, it was so much fun, and there was an awesome computer game that went along with the third one, and I remember playing that a lot. The third one is like this whole virtual reality where they have to go inside this video game and defeat the toy maker who ended up being the one who put their grandfather in the wheelchair. Like, oh, the whole trilogy just goes back to family and trust and understanding what the truth is and that it's not always black and white. But there's also like the fun spy action. There's just great lines, amazing humor, and y'all, the actors that said yes to this franchise, like the big names, are you kidding me? Like Danny Trejo, Antonio Banderas, Sylvester Stallone, Steve Buscemi, like y'all, y'all. There's just big names. George Clooney's in the movies, like you, you know, you know it's a good movie if all of these big names are signing on to do it and they're killing it. It's just awesome. And I found out during this most recent rewatch that a lot of it is filmed in Texas. I knew that the beginning of the second one took place um, at the Capitol building in Austin because we went and visited shortly after the second one came out and they were still like mentioning it on the tours. Like, hey, did y'all know that Spy Kids 2 was filmed here? And I was like, oh my gosh, Spy Kids 2 was filmed here. That's amazing. And, um, but then it turns out that a lot of things were filmed in Texas, not just the OSS scenes at the Capitol, but some of the island stuff was filmed in Big Ben, and there were some things in Arlington, I believe, and so that's really cool, getting to see your home state just proudly shown on the screen like that in a movie that you've loved since you were a kid. It was just very cool, very cool to see. Definitely holds up, and I definitely can still quote at least the first movie pretty much from beginning to end. <laughs> My friend and I in high school used to uh, go back and forth. I was Carmen, he was Junie, and we kind of resembled them as well, and so it was funny. And we would do scenes together, and it was funny. So anyway, highly recommend, if you haven't seen that movie in a few years, to go back to it. Number seven is the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants series. The first came out in 2005, second came out in 2008, and of course the Sisterhood is made up of Amber Tamblin, America Ferreira, Alexis Bledel, and Blake Lively. This is also kind of a found family story about 
um, these girls who grew up together, their moms like met in a birthing class and so they were all born within like a week of each other and just grew up together and everything was great. But then as they grow older, their lives kind of start taking different directions. And the first movie I think is about their first summer where they're not gonna be together because they have traveling plans and they're gonna be separated. And like the day before they're gonna be separated, they happen to find this magical pair of pants that fits all four of them, despite the fact that they have four very different body types. And so they become obsessed with this pair of pants and decide to like share it amongst them every two weeks for the summer and like sending letters with the pants and all, all this cute stuff. I never read the books, so I couldn't tell you if they are accurate to the books, but I think it is wholesome and it is fun and you're learning to fight for your friendships even if you have to come up with excuses to stay connected. I'm not ashamed of that. Um, I have a friend who she sent me a succulent subscription service for like a couple months and she was like, I thought it would, after we moved out of my hometown, she said, I thought it would be cool if we could stay in touch by giving each other plant updates. Like, it might sound cheesy that we, like, have to have an excuse to keep in touch, but it's hard when you don't live in the same city anymore and life is just busy. But now, every time I see my plants and something weird is going on, I want to send her a picture, and then that gets us talking about other things. And so it's okay to have to come up with an excuse to stay connected with the people that you think are worth staying connected to. And I think that's what the pants did for this group of friends, is they kept them connected, even though they could have been moving on from their lives and not really talking to each other much anymore. They made an effort and were intentional about their friendships and were therefore able to keep them even as they went their separate ways. And I just think that's really beautiful. The second movie kind of plays in on that same, that same message. Um, but there's also like obviously individual things going on with each of the girls' families that they're dealing with. And so it's like them helping each other through that as well which is really, really cool. So I highly recommend that movie. It definitely holds up for me. And it really made me want to rewatch Gilmore Girls <laughs> because Alexis Bledel is just Rory Gilmore everywhere she is and can't even help it. Okay, number eight is Ella Enchanted. This is a 2004 movie starring Anne Hathaway and Hugh Dancy. It had its moments. It was definitely funny at times. It was definitely like whimsical and magical, but I don't think it quite held up. It does have this underlying theme of being the change you want to see in the world because the whole premise is that when Ella was a baby, she was given the gift of obedience by her fairy godmother and that meant she had to do everything she was told, which the fairy godmother thought this was a good gift to give a child because then she won't cry when she's not supposed to and she won't she'll just be like the perfect well-behaved kid but once people found out that this is what was happening they obviously use it to their advantage and started manipulating her and like her evil stepsisters were causing her to steal and like made her be rude to her best friend and then it got to a point where the evil prince's uncle told her to murder the love interest his nephew the prince and so she was like freaking out and she like had to break up with him and ran and tied herself to a tree and then hunted down her fairy godmother and told her to please take her wish back, take her gift back. And then the fairy godmother said no and untied her. And so she's like, are you kidding me? But then 
she was able to break the spell on her own just by saying, no, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this. And obviously it worked out in the end, which was a nice moment. You know, obviously there's some Hamlet vibes in there, there's some Cinderella vibes in there, but there's also like, she kept encouraging the prince to make reforms in the kingdom that would benefit the public. Like his uncle had put in like segregation laws and weird laws against giants and elves, like they couldn't do certain things. And she was trying to get the prince to undo a lot of what his uncle had done. And so there were a lot of themes about like making change and not just talking about it, but doing it. And because you're in a position of authority, you have the power to do these things. So that was cool, but ultimately it was like, hmm. I mean, we've seen we've seen the Cinderella thing happen over and over again. Which brings us to number nine, a Cinderella story, but this one is the exception because it's amazing! <laughs> this is the 2004 movie starring Hilary Duff and Chad Michael Murray again, also as the love interest. You just can't help but fall in love with him, and I recently found out he is 40 years old, and that broke my heart a little bit. <laughs> Chad Michael Murray cannot be 40. He's still gotta be Austin Ames, the Prince Charming at the ball, but he's still got it going on, so it's fine. We forgive him. Anyway, this is another take on, obviously, the Cinderella story, where she uh, had a single dad, and then he passed away, leaving her with her evil stepmother and stepsisters, who were horrible to her, and ruined her dad's diner, and made her work and do horrible chores and blah 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 even though she really just wanted to go to Princeton and she was instant messaging this guy from a Princeton chat room because this is 2004 and chat rooms are a new thing and he turns out to be the popular guy at school and so she's afraid to reveal her identity and then her stepsisters do it for her in a really mean way and the guy doesn't know how to react and then anyway it's it's definitely a different take on the Cinderella story because she makes the guy like shape up in order to deserve her. It's not just like, oh, I'm gonna dance with you and fall in love with you for a night and then leave my shoe behind and if you can find me then you can have me despite the fact that you don't know what I look like without my shoe and my pretty dress on. Like, no. It's not quite so damsel and distressy. She owns who she is and she takes a stand for herself standing up to her stepmother and stepsisters and realizing that she deserves better than a guy who's just going to ignore her because she's kind of the nerdy girl or whatever diner girl is what they call her she works at a diner and that makes the guy shape up and realize you know what you're the girl i want to be with and I don't want to follow my dad's dream of becoming a football superstar and then taking over his car wash. I want to go to Princeton too and become a writer and blah, 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 blah. And so that part is good that he realizes he needs to shape up in order to be with her as opposed to he just chases after her, gives her her shoe back and everything is hunky-dory. But um, plus it's just funny. I mean, the uh, evil stepmother is played by... Jennifer Coolidge, so plenty of humor there, and it's just classic 2004 romance with the with the prom dance under the gazebo, 
her best friend is like comic relief. It's, it's good. It holds up for sure, for sure. Number 10 is National Treasure. What a treasure these movies are. <laughs> the first came out in 2004. Second came out in 2007. They starred Nicolas Cage, Justin Bartha, and Diane Kruger. I would say these movies mostly hold up. There's one thing that doesn't, but I'll get to that in a second. The treasure story is just classic. You love to see it. You love to hear Nicolas Cage utter the words, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence, or I'm going to kidnap the President of the United States. Like, it's just so many, so much stakes and so much history, and a lot of the history is obviously accurate, so that's pretty cool to learn about. And it makes you just want to go to Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia and go see all of the things that they're talking about. So that part is great. And the treasure part, the treasure hunt, dealing with the bad guys, Sean Bean, you know, being Sean Bean, even though he's kind of a bad character, we love to see him on screen. And Justin Bartha as Riley is just the perfect, perfect comic relief. He's still smart. He's the tech guy. He's the guy in the chair. But he's hilarious, which just is the icing on top. The only thing that I think doesn't hold up in both of these movies, it's a little less, it, it doesn't become apparent until the second one, but the romance, I think, definitely falls a little short. And I even tweeted about this, like, I used to root for the romance in all of these movies, like, I would ship them so hard. I just wanted to see the kiss at the end. I lived for it. But now that I'm married, you'd think I would be, like, even more lovey-dovey, but now I'm like, no, does the romance serve the story? Is this even realistic? Are they going to have a healthy relationship? Like, this is what I need to know. And I just don't think they have that in National Treasure. Obviously, Ben Gates and the girl, Abigail Chase, don't really like each other at first, and then she starts to get on board as she realizes the treasure hunt is real, and then they kind of fall in love, and at the end, they kiss and move in together and that's the end of the first one and we can live with that right we could live with that but then we have the second one where you realize he has moved out she has kicked him out so they've broken up she's in fact dating somebody else and so whatever another treasure hunt starts up again and so they're thrown together again and they sort of fall back in love again. And it's like, okay, so were y'all only together because of the treasure hunting? Is that the only thing that kept y'all together? That's the only thing y'all had in common to talk about and to do together? Like, if you can't handle the mundane Wednesdays of it all, then you can't have a healthy relationship. And this is mirrored in the relationship of Ben's parents because they mentioned how they got divorced and haven't spoken to each other in 30 years but because of this treasure hunt his dad has to go talk to his mom again and he makes a comment about how yeah you used to love you fell in love with me on a treasure hunt don't you remember that and she was like yeah well it was mostly the tequila or makes a comment about that and it's like geez and then they get divorced it obviously doesn't work out for them they don't speak for 30 years despite the fact that they have a child together and then because they're thrown together in another treasure hunt they get together and they kiss and i'm like what i do not buy this at all this is not teaching us a good lesson about love that oh well if you're having problems in your relationship just go on a crazy adventure together to spice things up and everything will be great. 
which is fine for the adventure, but once the adventure's over, you have to get back to reality. Now, are either of these relationships going to survive reality? I don't think so. I don't think they've built it up to survive reality. And so it just really, really annoyed me on this rewatch, and I don't think that part holds up. I think these movies would be much better without the romance added into it. Again, it was fine in the first one. It was fine because they ended up together and that was the end of the movie, roll credits. But then in the second one, because there was the breakups and all of the comments about the treasure hunting, making them fall in love, I was like, okay, stop. I'm I'm over this. I don't wanna I don't wanna hear it anymore. So anyway, there's my two cents. I will get off my soapbox now for number eleven, The Little Rascals, which came out in nineteen ninety four, starring Bug Hall, Brittany Ashton Holmes, and another ragtag group of kiddos classic movie y'all it still holds up <laughs> for me who was obsessed with it in elementary and middle school I think it just shows that kids have real human emotions they're definitely acting more mature than you would expect these like I don't know how old they're supposed to be like seven or eight year olds but it shows that like kids go through human struggles and triumphs as well and uh, you just kind of have to trust them sometimes to, uh, obviously they're going to need help to regulate their emotions and to figure out um, what they need to be doing, but ultimately they're just little humans trying to navigate this world the same way we are, and it creates hilarity and antics, and obviously it was filmed in 1994, so the parents are pretty much absent in the entire movie. All the kids are fighting fires and <laughs> doing fundraisers and building clubhouses, and kissing each other <laughs> but it's hilarious this is another one I could quote from beginning to end and it's just it's classic it's wholesome and I actually got to meet Sam Saletta he plays the bully butch in this movie he was at the Lubbock Comic Con a few years ago and I was obsessed with meeting him because I was obsessed with this movie and um, it was a good time so most of these movies held up. There were a few issues I took uh, in watching them as an adult, but for the most part, it's been fun to rewatch these formative movies, kind of how I talked about formative books with my friend Jules a while back. And uh, you should stay tuned because I'm currently in the process of rewatching some old children's slash middle school TV shows I was into back in the day. And so we will soon have an episode about formative shows as well. Obviously, it takes me more time to watch 11 shows than it was to watch 11 movies. So, you have that to look forward to. Thank you for being along the ride for this podcast, even as it's kind of moved to bi-weekly instead of weekly. Um, but yeah, just enjoy talking to you about what I've been enjoying recently, and I hope you will let me know what you've been enjoying recently, and I'll see y'all next time. Thanks for joining me for 11Zs. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review, subscribe, tune in each Thursday, and tell your friends. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at kdsubcreations, and check out my blog and other free content at the link in the description. Now go where you must go and hope.